well, the life of integrity. It's the summer of 1924, and Paris is hosting the Olympics. And walking through the streets of Paris that day was a young Scotsman by the name of Eric Liddell. He's a Scottish rugby international who, uh, the year before, took part in the Five Nations Championship, rugby championship, winning all the games that he played in. And uh, Scotland won that year in 1925. I'm sure some of you will remember that. But he's also the fastest man in Scotland. He's known as that fastest man in Scotland. What a title. Um, he was unbeatable in the 100-meter sprint. And here he is in the Olympics in Paris, but he's not doing the 100 meters, which he's good at and famous for. He's in the 400 meters, which he's never run in professionally before. Why? Well, when the heats for Paris were announced, uh, he noticed that the heats for the 100 meter sprint, which he was going for, were on a Sunday. And he was a man principled, believing that uh, running on the Lord's Day would be uh, against God's word and unacceptable to the Lord. So he said, I'm not going to run on a Sunday and I'm not going to run the 100 meters. He would have been world famous. Um, it had been, he was the Usain Bolt of his day. Uh, but he says, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. The Scottish Olympic running committee were desperate to get him to be a part of it. So they said the 400 meters is not run on a Sunday at all. So will you do that? He said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give that a go. And he did some test runs and he was hopeless. But they sent him anyway. So here he is in Paris. And uh, somehow he just about gets through all the heats. And he gets to the final. And on the morning of the final, one of the masseurs, I don't know how to say that, but the guys who massage runners, <laughs> he handed him a little note that said this, in the old book, it says, he that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. So Eric gets out onto the track. He's against the favored Americans who hold the world records at the time. He stands there and he runs and he beats the world record. He beats all the Americans, which is the best part of it, isn't it? Better than the world, rec world record, but 47.6 seconds, a, a record that stood for the next 12 years. He ran that race. He was a man of principle, principles that made him lose worldwide fame. Those principles caused him the following year to give up his international rugby career at the height of his career, to give up running at the height of his running career, and to go to China to be a missionary. In 1925, he left Scotland for China and he never returned. He stayed there until he died in a Japanese war camp in 1945. He became known in the Japanese internment camp as a man of integrity. People were bribing guards, they were stealing food, and he would say, you can't do that. You've got to share this food if you're going to survive. And any food he had, he shared between uh, the people who were hungry. He began to organize games in the camp. He taught the children of the camp. He became known as Uncle Eric in the Japanese camp. And a fellow internee 
Later, he died in 1945, but this in turn, he survived. And he wrote a book about his own experiences in the camp. And this is what he says about Eric Liddell. He said, he was the finest Christian gentleman it has been my pleasure to meet. In all the time in the camp, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Eric Liddell, a man of integrity. Firm, gracious, principled integrity. No matter what the cost to himself, his fame, or even his life. And this is the life that Proverbs calls us to. This is the wise life, the life of integrity, the Christ-empowered wise life, where integrity is it's having a moral backbone. It's having this deep sense of honesty, a, a consistency across the board between our private life and our public life. The, the book of Proverbs is not asking for perfection, but it is asking for consistency, for harmony between what I say and what I do. And this is truly a countercultural lifestyle, not just in our generation, but across the generations. And this is why it reflects Christ so well. This life of integrity is not the natural life that men and women leave, lead without him. So what is this life of integrity? Well, firstly, it is marked by being a principled person. As Christians, we have strong convictions on what is right and what is wrong. We've come to acknowledge that our life outside of Christ had a limited perspective. It was governed by what we were taught and what we learned from the wisdom of the world. And therefore, our perspective on life was limited. But in trusting Christ, we've come to submit to the authority of God's word. This is the source, this is the truth, this is the final authority over us in all matters of life and work and death. We acknowledge as Christians that it's God, not ourselves, who is the source of wisdom. So we follow the word, not our own perspective. We ask the question, what does the Bible say? How is the Bible leading me in this situation? You know, in, because of that, humility is fundamental. It's the basis of a life of integrity, because in that we're acknowledging, I am utterly incapable to live by my own wisdom. But now I live by a greater wisdom, the wisdom of my creator and God and Lord. This principled life of conviction is humble, and it's founded on our creator's infinitely superior wisdom, the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who is the Alpha and the, the Omega, the one who knows all things about us, all our ups and downs, our strengths and weaknesses. He knows everything. He knows our past. He knows our present. And he knows our future. So our life is based on his wisdom, his knowledge and understanding of our life. I think this is what the writer of Proverbs is getting at over in chapter 30. This is what he says in Proverbs 30. Surely I am too stupid 
to be a man. <laughs> I'm sure, we've all said that, or the men have. I have not the understanding of a man, he says. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And then he says this. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, our culture has long taught us to be unsure of our beliefs, to doubt our convictions, and to be convinced of all our doubts, principles, and beliefs, especially those based on this ancient book, the Bible, are at best seen to be naive, and at worst are seen to be bigoted. And so we give in to pressure. We become wishy-washy men and women, afraid to get to know God's word, and even more afraid to live by God's word, no matter what the cost to us. And so we don't have these explicit convictions, these strong foundational principles saying, this is God's word. I believe it. That settles it for me. And I will follow it no matter what the cost. Being principled, being men and women with deep convictions concerning the truth is integral to a life of integrity. Coretta Scott King, two days after the murder of her husband, Martin Luther King, said, if a man has nothing that is worth dying for, then he is not fit to live. You see, that family were a family with strong biblical convictions regarding the equality of all human beings. They're made in the image of God. No matter what color or race they were from, they knew that they were equal. And it's that type of principled life that the righteous are to lead. So that if the whole world were to stand against you and say, you are wrong, and you can see in God's word that you are right. You will say with the other Martin Luther, here I stand. I can do no other. Because this is God's inspired word. Principles, they give us backbone in a world without backbone. They give us clarity of life direction. They guide us safely through the troubled waters of a confused and wandering world, which is chasing its own shadows. We live in a world that is guided by shifting moral stand, sands that are directed by the strongest vocal voice at the moment. We live in a world that is unsure what to believe in and why. But we are not to be those people. We are in the words of Proverbs 4, there in Proverbs 4, the Father tells us this. He says, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
and to love the principles of God's word, to enjoy them, not to forget them, but to keep them, to practice them, to let them overflow in every avenue of our lives. If we are to live a life of integrity, we must, we must ensure that our convictions are pile-driven down deep into the solid rock foundation of the living word of God, the Bible. Principles that will ensure that we stand fast in the face of a world not given to appreciate the moral stance of God's people. Friends, where do you stand in this? Would you describe yourself as a highly principled person? That you are one who knows what they believe and why? Now, we're not talking here about being unkind or shouting the loudest, that kind of lifestyle that says, I'm principled and I don't care about you. That's not what Proverbs is calling us to. It's calling us to be a person with a quiet confidence that our lives are based on truth, that we live in the light, that our lives are founded on truth personified, Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That we live on the basis of the living and explicit doctrines of Scripture. Are we perhaps people, as James describes, who are like those who are driven back and forth like a ship by every wind of doctrine? It depends on who we are speaking to. We speak to people in work and well, yes, I can see your point of view and I get what you're saying and maybe I think that way too. And then we're in church and we say, oh, no, I, yeah, I believe what you're saying and I, I go with you. And then we hear another voice and say, no, I'm with you. And we, we, we have no strong anchor into God's word. And so we're blown about and we, we don't really know what we believe and we don't know where we're headed and we don't know where we come from and we don't know what to say to people and we don't know how to shine the light of God's holy word into a dark and confused world. In our generation, we need men and women of integrity, people of principle, whose lives show forth the convictions of the truths of God's word in a gracious, kind, and humble, and gentle way. And that leads secondly to this that a life of integrity is to be marked by consistency. It's to be marked by consistency between our private and our public life. That's the positive way of putting it. Our life is to be marked by consistency. Negatively, we could say our life is not to be marked by hypocrisy. Proverbs 11 verse 20, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Isn't it perverse if we were poor to pretend that we were rich? Or it's perverse, isn't it, to say, I sell authentic goods when actually we know that they are fake and will crumble before your eyes once you take them home. But how far more perverse is it to say, I am a Christian, I follow God's word. When the manner of our lives contradicts 
those statements. This self-contradiction is nothing new. Back in Roman times, it was common for statue makers to have good ingredients, but then to mix in wax to fill out. Wax was cheap, and you could fill out the statue and make it look good. But when the people got it home, then it would just start to crack and crumble. And before a few weeks had gone by, you just have a pile of wax and rubble and wood and whatever it was made out of. And so they had markets in Roman times where they had artisan statue makers where they would never put wax in it. And they became known as the, the without wax stalls or in Latin, the sincera stalls. And that word sincera became known in our own language as sincere, describing a life without deceit, without pretense. A non-hypocritical person is without wax. They are sincere. There's no pretense. There's no cover-up. There's no sham, no show. Now, perhaps we've become overused to insincerity in our societies. So people put in wax in their statues, if you like. Do you remember in 19, some of you are old, I remember on the news, in 1991, Gerald Ratner, do you remember that? Infamously sunk his own multi-million pounds jewelry store business by accidentally admitting in a speech, and I won't quote it, but he, in a speech to a fellow businessman, he admitted that all his goods were cheap imitations that were actually rubbish. I think I bought my wedding ring from Ratner because it was made out of an impossible to bend material and it's just gone in a funny shape, isn't it? I, yeah, I think it was Ratner is where we bought it from. But to this day, business executives are warned in training, warned in training days, don't do a Ratner. That is, don't admit failures weaknesses, flaws in your business models, because it'll ruin you. Here was a man who deliberately bought cheap and sold expensive and pretended that they were good quality items when actually they were made of cheap materials. What did we read in Proverbs 11 just a few moments ago? We read this. We read of the notice God takes of even these tiny, apparently unnoticed, insincere actions. Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. A strong word, isn't it? But a just weight is his delight. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. That's called doing a ratna. The wicked falls by his own wickedness. As God's people, we follow a savior who can never accidentally do a ratna because there was no insincerity in him, no, no hypocrisy in him. Remember Isaiah 53? He made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit to be found in his mouth. Imagine that. 
a life of unfailing consistency between beliefs and practice, between his words and his life, both in private and in public. Imagine living that kind of life. It's impossible, we say, and rightly so, because we've all failed miserably in this area, which is why Isaiah 53 says that. He's the one without deceit who made his grave with the wicked. That's us, the insincere, the hypocrites. That's us. Here, this blameless, sincere Savior had to go to the grave to rescue us from our insincerities and our hypocrisies. The holy dying for the hypocrite, the sincere standing in the place of the insincere, the blameless one, suffering the justice of the blameworthy. Such was his principled life of integrity that he did what was necessary to bring us to God, even at the cost of his own life. And in doing that, he transformed the hypocrites that he saved into being men and women of principle, non-hypocrisy, consistent lives between public and private. We are people as God's people. We are people who must never look into the mirror of God's word and then go away and forget who we are in Christ and live a different life to what we heard on Sundays from God's word. But we are to marry up, aren't we, to what we heard and how we live so that people look at us and they say they believe that. They, they believe that. How we hate the hypocrisies of our own nation, maybe of our own colleagues who do corrupt things in our own workplaces. But the church is not immune to such a life of hypocrisy. Even this year, Amazon Prime have made an expensive documentary on the financial and immoral lifestyles of the leadership of a major Christian denomination. Church hypocrisies are now literally broadcast across the world. and People hate it. They're shocked by it. They know in their hearts that Christians should not be hypocrites. After all, they expect better from people who say, I live by the truth. I live in the light. I follow the Savior. I follow the creator of heaven and earth. The world expects better from us as God's people, as a church. Remember James, the brother of Jesus Christ, based his book on these Proverbs. He argues that an inconsistent life of hypocrisy is a sign that a person truly isn't born again that we urgently need to turn to Christ for forgiveness and renewal if there's hypocrisy in our lives. A life of integrity cannot be marked by dishonesty, by hypocrisy. It must be marked by gracious, humble, principled sincerity. Proverbs 21, 23 says, that life of integrity is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known 
He who winks with the eye, he causes trouble, but a foolish talker will fall. The life of integrity, it is one of humble, honest, principled consistency. And the church and the world needs that life desperately. So lastly, how do we maintain a walk of integrity? How do we do this? Because it's hard. Well, as any good parent does, the Lord wants us to know in Proverbs that there are blessings for walking in integrity. But there are also warnings for failure to do so. We mustn't underemphasize the blessings and the warnings of Scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs, because they are powerful motivations to live in the way that God has called us to. Wisdom doesn't just tell us how to live. It also tells us why we should live that way. And it's in taking these blessings and these warnings seriously that we carefully maintain a walk of integrity, trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord of heaven. Notice these blessings and warnings here in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, verse 18. Whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. The most clear summary, perhaps, is in chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. It says this, So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness, for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Blessings and warnings. A life of integrity means that you will dwell forever, he says, in the land. But being hypocritical and dishonest and unprincipled, he says, it means to be cut off from the land. It means to be uprooted from the land. What is he saying? Well, living in the land in the Old Testament means to be where God is, to be in the place of life, blessing, the life, the place of salvation. To be uprooted from it means to be cut off from life, cut off from blessing, cut off from God. That's the Old Testament way of saying what the New Testament describes as abiding in Christ. Remember James warns, doesn't he, of that life of foolishness, of inconsistency between the inward heart, not displaying the outward grace of salvation. He talks about how it's contradictory to profess Christ and then not to live for Christ. And what does he say? Faith without works is what? It's to be cut off from the land, he says. It's to be dead. It's not real. It's not true. It's not the life of salvation. Every true Christian who is in Christ, let me say that again. Every true Christian is in Christ, not who is in Christ. Every true Christian is in Christ. And so out of that Christ life flows a new way of life, a blameless new life, a life of integrity that enjoys the life of Christ, abides in him, 
finds our source and nourishment in Jesus. It's he that enables us. He gives us the, the life from the, the root into the branches, into us. A nourishment for life and consistency and, and principled lifestyle it comes from him. It doesn't come from us. As we abide in Christ, so the Lord Jesus enables us, empowers us, strengthens us, guides us, keeps us on that life, on that road of integrity. He has transformed us from the inside out by his cross. He's renewed us. He's made us new people in himself. He's given us a new heart and new desires and a new focus so that we no longer long to live in that life of hypocrisy, but now we long to live in the life of wisdom. And so a life of integrity, it flows from the life-giving strength of Christ out into our very bones and blood so that we walk out from church and go out into the Monday and the Tuesday and we say, by God's enabling, by his strength, I will be a man of integrity. I'll be a woman of integrity. When we realize the blessings that flow from a life of integrity, when we realize that all of this strength comes from Christ, where does our praise turn? It doesn't turn inwards, does it? We don't look inwards and say, oh, what a wise person I am. What a man of integrity I am. I am to be honored among the world. No, like Eric Little, we say, I, I'm willing to lose everything to be the man of God, to be the woman of God. I, I give it all up because my praise doesn't go inward, but it goes outward to the Savior who enables me and keeps me in this way. And so we acknowledge tonight that joy and wisdom can never be found in the world. And it cannot be found internally, but it is found in Jesus Christ, who blesses the life of integrity and warns us about the life of hypocrisy. And so let's, as we take communion, as we sing, let's turn our hearts outwards and not look for hope within, not look for praise within, but to say, isn't he good? Isn't he kind? That he is not only keeping me, but empowering me for a life that I could never lead. And so let's stand and sing now, none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me is love and life and lasting joy Christ Jesus found in thee. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>